this everyone's personal development show keep breath free welcome anyone under 45 who work with video games as a natural part of their lives but older generations have had minimal exposure to gaming without first-hand experience it can be difficult to understand why the industry is broken and why our children and grandchildren love esports so much that's why our today's guest is dr barrow dr barrow experience growing up in south korea the birthplace of esports business and he has been teaching esports business at Keio University since 2018. He has frequently appeared in major media outlets like the Lekay, the world's largest financial newspaper. He has also started an esports advisory at the Big Four Management Consulting Firm and has written the number one Amazon bestseller, The Mystified Esports, a personal guide to the history and future of competitive gaming. In 2022, he founded Lunatone Inc., a digital content business startup based in Tokyo, to enable borderless corporate play via community building interactive digital content. Without further ado, let's tune into our conversation with Lunatone Inc. founder and CEO, Dr. Barrow. Hey, Barrow, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Arrow. Yeah, finally, uh, after reading your book, I have to have you on. <laughs> I just told you about it. So can you tell us a little bit about your Professor Bregua? How do you get to where you are today? Uh, yeah, I mean, you know, uh, I don't even know where to start. That's always a difficult question. But uh, uh, right now, I am working at a big four consulting firm, and I have started uh, something called an eSports advisory from 2018, which was unprecedented. Uh, because we have technically nothing to do with esports or gaming. My career has nothing to do with esports and gaming. I was trained as an engineer. I was working as an R&D engineer for about 10 years. And I just happened to had a, you know, switch career back in 2017. And that's really how it started. And really, the esports advisory really you know, started as a side project because I was doing more of a main duty as a, you know, tech consultant, but then it really took off since then, like, you know, and now I'm doing full time. Got it. That's exactly the reason why uh, I want to interview on podcast because you don't have a professional background with eSports, but you are doing with the eSports because uh, after reading your book, I I know that our background are very familiar. I'm just like you. I, I love to play games when I was a teenager, when I was in college or high school. If at that time you tell me I can participate in the eSport, there's a profession about it. I will seriously think about it, but why, why did I was born uh, in a later days? <laughs> that was my thinking. <laughs> so let's dive deep everything into this one. So a big question first, what is eSports? Yeah, so esports, if you're, I mean, you know, people play a lot of games nowadays, but like I, I meet a lot of my clients are people who don't have much gaming experience. And I always tell them it's basically it's competitive gaming. So you're doing competition just like you do for traditional sports, but instead of like playing, playing, playing balls and stuff, you're actually playing video games. And video games nowadays are pretty different from back in the days, like when we used to we used to play Mario and stuff, it's all more connected. It's very competitive. It's very team-based game. So you need to have all that skill set and coordination. So which makes it very very challenging. So it's basically you know uh, simply put, com- competitive gaming. Got it. How fast is this industry growing right now? Because it has been two, two decades uh, or more than two decades. Yeah. How fast right. is it? So yeah. It's been so. 
you know, my take on this is that I'm like, I'm originally coming from South Korea and I, it, it, from my point of view, it really started from in the nineties and I was growing up there with, you know, Starcraft and it really took off as a business back in the nineties. And considering that it's a little more than two decades now, and, you know, it really took off around the world nowadays. And, uh, even with COVID, the market size right now, it's, uh, it's, I think over 1 billion USD, uh, esports total, but that's only like a core market size of it. And if you consider all the peripheral market and all that, it's even bigger. And, uh, the year, if you see the market growth year on year, CHGR, it's, it's been two digits constantly. Wow. So it's growing really quickly. And if, I mean, and, but Errol, you know, if you're a gamer, you know, how many yeah. gamers around the world there are <laughs> despite <laughs> yeah. of the region. Right. So anywhere you go, there are game lovers. And especially nowadays, younger generations, they embrace more games than, say, watching television or watching sports mm -hmm. game. So it's it's only going to be con you know, continue growing. And also it's you know part of the reason is that like COVID, if, like COVID actually helped grow gaming industry. And, and yeah. you know, and we're, we're seeing the result right now. Got it. Mm, I think uh, I'm in the Mm, same age about you. Uh, may I ask you? Uh, I'm a uh, 36 year old. Uh, this year, may I ask uh, how are I'm, you? I'm 37, so we're we're the same. Uh, <laughs> God, the, no wonder. Uh, the reason why I love your book so much because it it really did mystify esports for me. Because uh, when I was in high, high somewhere in between high school or college, mm. and then I just don't realize why. The uh, a friend of mine, he is very good in studying, and then he he is participating uh, esports in Korea, and mm. uh, from the surface when I saw him, he is a very calm people. He is very intelligent, but uh, he's not that really into sports. But mm. uh, so uh, when I communicate with him, he's very calm. Uh, everything is in slow motion, but. When he sit before a screen to actually participate in sport, oh wow, <laughs> it, yeah. uh, it's crazy. He moves so yeah. fast, uh, and then he, his brain—you <laughs> can tell his brain processing uh, is so great. So, uh, can you uh, help us to? Uh, I really want to know about how the esports scene pick up the pace. Can you tell us the order? Uh, is it start with Korea first, and then? Uh, somewhere else what countries or regions follow suits in what particular order can you tell us about that sure yeah thanks great question thanks for asking so my you know entire thesis of my book uh, demystifying esports was about you know that esports business really started in south korea in the 90s mm -hmm. and it it was by chance mm -hmm. <laughs> and Nobody know nobody knew that it was going to be this big back in those days and I was just a junior high school student and you know uh like if I go back in history, so we were in a very unique situation uh, economically, South Korea, because we were supported by the IMF. So it was uh, economically a very d difficult uh, situation as a country. Then, uh, so a lot of people were laid off and they had all these, you know, uh, surveillance package with a little sum of money that they had you know, something to do with. And some people decided to do a net cafe and, you know, and some of them decided to, you know, really focus on the gaming side of it because around that time, there this game from the United States called StarCraft, as everybody knows in our generation, was such a huge hit to South Korea and South Koreans. So if you're like a schoolboy like myself back in the days, if you don't play that game, you can't really 
be part of the conversation. So it sort of it, it became a sensation within uh, the country very soon. And not not everybody owned a personal PC and personal comp, uh, computer at home, so yeah. therefore they ended up going to these net cafes uh, to yes. play those games. So it naturally became that you know like a cultural buildup that you know after school they get out with their friends and just drop by to those uh, net cafe pishibang we call it, and then play right. a few a few hours and go back. And you know then after that, uh, so one uh, cable media. Decided to go full-time esports broadcasting uh, back then. Mm-hmm. It called On Game Net, and you know it was sensational because nobody have seen anything like that before. Like you know, people were playing StarCraft professionally in front of a, <laughs> on a TV screen, and that got even got more popular, and a lot more people got got involved. And you know, and then we got the professional scene, professional team, professional leagues, and it just got bigger and bigger. And you know, and eventually, like you know, that really took off since then. And I, I, what I want to understand is that we do, uh, in part of the consulting side, we do like like benchmarking of other countries. And then what we learned is that you know, uh, U.S. has its own development story. China has its own, etc. It's different region has its own, but it really from the 90s, like where, where it really took off as an esports as a business, South Korea. Uh, then later on, I think, you know, China had, had its own way with the Warcraft. Uh, US was later in the 2000s. I think what really took off was with uh, League of Legends, with, when, also with the, 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 the effect of Twitch. And Europe has its own too, like FIFA and all that, CSGO and all that. So, but that also came later in the in the 2000 and 2010 later. So, but you know, it, I don't think anything was designed. That's my mm. that's my you know point. Nothing was designed. It wasn't a single company effort. It wasn't a country you know government driven effort. It was every all these events were was very serendipitous. So mm. it was naturally aroused by these natural market needs and people mm. who tried to strive you know, in their life and naturally become, become a part of the culture now in South Korea. So it's sort of like, that's how it really grew uh, in my mind. Totally agree. This is a market lead because, oh man, I'm 36 now. <laughs> I'm, I'm the father of one man. I just remember the good old days where I sleep out yeah. the, <laughs> the castle and go to the PC bar located in your yeah. home. Okay. Uh, maybe Rainbow Six and then be suited by my uh, professor eSport. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> where is my classmate? And one of the core reasons why I really want to have you on the show is not just demystifying because it is really a market lead and gaming is not bad because just referring to the friend that who is my classmate and uh, he is now the head of product of a bank in Hong Kong. Uh, so mm-hmm. the things that I'm trying to say is being a gamer is totally okay. It, mm. it is not like uh, the previous generation whenever I'm playing game with the console, Nintendo, PlayStation, Sega, whatever. My my mom just don't like it. So, mm. okay. I think I just re- <laughs> have to grade it up to your book. Please tell us the best story of your book uh, about your gra- angry grandmother, Yoko. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> so, yeah. So, basically, I mean, I wrote that book for my, uh, my mother-in-law who thinks that like any any other parents around the world she thinks that gaming is evil and we've seen a lot of people like that and uh, my i have three children two of them are boys they play fortnite crazy uh seven and nine now so uh my younger one he plays too much and sometimes you know my mother-in-law didn't like that too much that's uh, and at one point she it it was just too much so she flipped 
and she brought a pair of scissors and she just <laughs> cut the charging cord of his Nintendo Switch, so he couldn't charge anymore. So I mean, you know, but <laughs> when that happened, I was like, I couldn't believe it because you know, for a gamer like us, how can you do that, right? That's not even like possible. That's like even imaginable. But you know, for for generation like my mother-in-law who didn't grow up with gaming, like mm. it's only it's only you know attention you know taking away kind of medium that it's so evil that you know. When he plays game, he doesn't even listen to what what she says and all that. So it's very, it's like a symbol of this evil device, right? <laughs> but, but people like, I mean, people who knows about gaming, we all know that how like the good side of it, and you know, mm. like also these people involved in esports, it's it's really the the way you design it, the way you associate with it. There's so much good that you can do with it, and mm. it's really you know the people we're we're like sort of not fighting, but. We're facing a lot of times we're facing people who doesn't have much gaming experience so that we have to convince them <laughs> that mm. this is not bad and actually this is actually the mainstream this is like the interactive media like this is how people spend time nowadays and yeah. you know it's really hard to convince them if they don't have the experience so that's why i wrote that book so i thought you know mm. book book was uh, the probably the the closest medium for the older generation to actually consume and to have that you know secondary experience Although they might not play any games, so yeah, that's really, I hope that answered your question. <laughs> uh, beautiful, because I totally resonate with all basically hundred percent with your book. Because not just in terms of background, but all of the examples that you lay down, like the Air Jordan and the uh, curriculum for university. But I will ask that uh, ask you about that later on. So uh, let's move on with this question first, because uh, many people compare traditional sports to esports. Can you help us to understand? The esports business comparing it to traditional sports. What's the difference? What's the common ground? Those kind of things. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, that's a great question. So there are a lot of similarities. So bottom line is with traditional sports, and so uh, you know the point is that the reason why it became esports from a, a regular a regular video game industry is because that it's fun to watch. You know, people mm. playing game. So people playing game competitively. So just like traditional sports, it's fun to watch people playing basketball professionally, watching NBA or soccer. And you know, for those crowd, for audiences, they may not play soccer or, or basketball, but they know the rules and they enjoy it. Exactly. Can, can, can I interrupt you here a little bit because that's something mm -hmm. that I want the current mm -hmm. generation to know what I experienced when I was in mm -hmm. high school or college. I mm -hmm. uh, I used to be a gamer, but sometimes my brother just Stick with the device, and then uh, he occupied the device. He is playing some RPG game that yeah. Uh, yeah. I want to play too. But uh, because he got that controller, I yeah. can only sit <laughs> nearby him and watch. But it is fun. Uh, so I wish I had that uh, in my generation. But now yeah. it's everywhere. So please go yeah. ahead. <laughs> <laughs> that's, a, that's exactly. I mean, that's a great point. Exactly. So. Everybody has experience, right? I mean, if you go to like back in the days, if you go to game arcades, if people playing Street Fighter, people get around if they're good. You know, if people playing Tekken, uh, Paul is beating the crap out of this Heihachi. I mean, people get around, and you know, what well, it's it's fun to watch. So it's, it's the same deal with traditional sports. So, but the difference is that, so being a game, it's it's there's an IP involved. So, you know, there is a ownership, there's a copyright ownership of the content itself, which is very different. And also, uh, I, I get this uh, a lot. So a lot of the traditional sports, 
people, business people, uh, they definitely have a lot of interest in esports. And I think they get fooled by the term the sport sports side and esports but uh actually the target crowd is completely different so the target mm. audience so for example mm. uh if you imagine that you know because it says esports uh the target audience is the same as traditional sports no so <laughs> the target audience is coming from a gaming industry game industry mm. which is completely different demographics than say uh sports uh you know people who enjoy sports and and mm. these are these are complete two different community and and also that the gaming community itself is very very in a sense uh if i if i name it harshly a very exclusive so if you don't know the game or if you don't love the game it's really hard to get in and be part of the community and where, whereas traditional sports you may not have that sort of that much exclusivity right so anybody can play uh whatever sports they want to but you know you have that little bit of but for games you have that little bit of uh exclusivity that you know whether you know this or you, you don't know that and if you don't know that it's hard to get involved in all that so anyway so th those are sort of like the differences and similarity but i mean there because there are a lot of similarity in terms of business ecosystem mm -hmm. right so as i said uh it's a it's a spectator sports it's fun to watch so uh, it's very similar to traditional sports in terms of business ecosystem as well. So you have uh, teams, players, mm -hmm. uh, event organizers, sponsors, broadcasters. These are all the same, except mm -hmm. that you know, for esports, there are a game publisher who owns the IP, which is the uh, probably the only difference in terms of business. Got it. Beautiful. Before we talk more about your book, may I ask you more about the general esports scene for now? What do you think about the esports? Uh, industry is it still in the early days even though after two decades that's uh the reason why i'm asking this is because you just mentioned something like uh it is totally random it is like uh um, by the market lead uh no single entity or company that leads the whole uh journey so uh, i think it does it have good governance and or compliance being installed behind the industry what's the current state right now yeah, great question. I mean, my, my easy answer to that is it's early, and I'm I'm sure you know if you ask any other esports you know professional, they will say early. And but I I say that because I, I've seen a sort of a whole cycle being developed in Korea and also being popped, and you know and also you mentioned about that point that it's all you know uh, serendipitous, it's not planned and all that. So depending on the region, the stages are very different. Uh, you know, mm. although, you know, Korea might have a very long, I mean, relatively long history, but of course, there's still a lot of improvements to be made. Also, mm. you know, big markets like US, China, uh, you know, or Europe, Germany, it's, it's all there. There's still a lot of, a lot of improvements to be made. Uh, and also, depending on the region, uh, I think the way, I think the thought process naturally is different. So for mm. example, like in Japan or Korea, it's, it's very, uh, you know, government-led activity. So you have, uh, like say, esports association. Uh, mm. In Korea, you have KESPA. In Japan, you have JESU, whereas, which is like, uh, you know, a third-party association who's dedicated on these com governance and compl compliances kind of installment in, in the industry. Whereas in the United States, uh, I'm sure there is, but it's, it's not very, you know, uh, pre present i would say it's more a market driven activity so it's more mm. driven by the uh business owners publishers and all these uh, business enterprises so it's very different characteristics if you look at the de depending on the region so we don't i, I think esports as natural because it's also young i think it's mm. it's a it's a field that we 
lack like standardization and mm -hmm. you know that could mean a lot of different things but mm -hmm. efforts are being made there are global associations uh, who's trying to install these you know government you know governance mm -hmm. or compliance you know uh channels and 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 all that so uh, but all in all i think it's we're, we're pretty early and we're seeing uh the growth mm -hmm. apparently a lot but uh yeah we might see you know a pop at some point and we might see even you know embracing after the pop and just like any other cool technology and any other cool industry you know it just I th but all in all i think it's still very early got it mm, i totally aligned with uh the intention why did you write your book uh i not just demystifying this book but also spread the uh mm, <laughs> It's like I'm forcing thinking into other people. <laughs> uh, the positive <laughs> image yeah. about esports. <laughs> so my next question is, uh, uh, if uh, the assumption is if you have unlimited resources, unlimited power to make this esports team to thrive. So any problems you think we have to resolve from a macro perspective in order to keep this esports scene thriving? Because uh, say like I'm a, I'm a total outsider, but you are insider in the industry. I think you know more than I do, and the, so that you can propose a solution to either institution or individual level. Uh, that makes sense. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, that's a that's a fantastic question, and there's a lot to cover about that. But uh, mm. I think you 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 point out a really great you know direction. So I think the point is being sustainable. Right. Okay. And yeah, and and you know, there's many many issues to be solved. And for example, like you know, you would say from a player perspective, if you're a professional mm -hmm. player, uh, the lifespan, the career of a professional mm -hmm. player is very short lifespan. It's just like a like a like a if I compare with the traditional sports, like a figure skating career. Like if you're like 20 or 20 something, you're already like retirement age, right? Mm -hmm. So it's something very short. And so there is that, you know, natural concern about this. What's this? What's what's the career path afterwards? And we have a social infrastructure who, who that actually helps support their after career. And if you make your name out there, if you like like very famous enough, if you're like a star player, you you have a lot of options to do. But if you're not, if you don't make it that much, you probably don't have much options, and you might end up you know maybe you might have you know given up all your studies and all your degrees along the way, and by the time you have to find another option, you might not have anything. So which is you know which is not good. Mm. So th these these kind of stuff, I, 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 these are all infrastructure kind of, uh, mm. I think, issues. And these are kind of uh, area that where we need support from the, I think, more on the government side. So these are mm. naturally the area where the government has most interest. So mm. that's why I'm, I'm, I'm helping out the Japanese government here on building up the mm. infrastructure and also the schools. So that's one. Uh, oh. Yeah. Yeah, you tell me. Also, yeah, I'm just curious yeah. about it. What what kind of infrastructure Japan government installed? So uh, it, we haven't installed yet, but we're getting there. So we so oh. my part of my job is to help build the Japan Ministry of uh, Economy, Trade, and Industry, which deals with uh, all the gaming, IP, and esports industry to help build uh, sound public policy for Japan. And as part of that, yeah, so I helped to, as a very first initiative, we did a blueprint, we built a roadmap for Japanese esports e market and for the next wow. five years. 
and also the market size and you know and also try to you know locate all the possible issues and where you know this is an issue that will be sold by the private sector or is it this issues to be sold by the public sector and something like you know the infrastructure or like the second career which just it's a, it's a it's a popular topic that comes out a lot of time and these are the stuff that I think the government also has a, a interest in, in helping out in the, in the long term, but we'll see how it goes. But, you know, like that's one of the one of the pieces. Right. <laughs> Got it. So, yeah. uh, so. So public sector, private sector, individual level. Uh, yeah. The, yeah, but, the, yeah. Uh, but the uh, ultimate outcome is not ultimate outcome. Ultimate objective is to make it sustainable to ecosystem to uh, sustain by itself. Absolutely. So that's like, that's only one out of many, many things can be done, right? This is only from a player perspective, right? Mm. So from a team's perspective, mm. I mean, this, this game might go forever, but <laughs> from a team's perspective, if you see, uh, if you look into their uh, revenue, uh, it's very, mm. it's just, just like traditional sports. It's very sponsor based, sponsorship based. Mm. Right. Mm. So if they're caught out of sponsorship, they lose, you know, they lose most of the revenue. And a lot of the time, these esports team, they're very young. Uh, and meaning that they may not have necessarily have that business experience uh, before. So when it comes to speaking with a potential sponsors, mm -hmm. uh, there we, we've seen a lot of these cases where there is this uh, expectation mismatch between the, uh. you know sponsors and the, the one who's getting it because it's just you know they're coming from a completely different industry, completely different experiences. So and mismatch expectation means that the sponsorship it's very likely that the sponsorship may not continue only just a, for first year and done. Mm -hmm. And so we need more business professional to support those esports teams to be mm -hmm. more sustainable. That's second. Also, uh, I mean, this is also from a completely different angle, but also what I've been working on yeah. is also on the, uh, uh, the older generation side, right? So it's, it's kind of related to my book, right? So, I mean, the older generation, they have next to no gaming experience. And if you just let this go, they're probably not going to have any experience and just going to be a complete two different generations. <laughs> you know what, what, what I'm always trying? I try to force my mom to pay much margin. <laughs> I try this, <laughs> I try this game before people, but on my mobile phone, my mom just said, I hate it. Yeah, 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 exactly. And exactly. Is the end. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so I mean, she's not the only one, right? I mean, it's pretty much everyone around the world has. It's like we have that clear generation gap. And I, I think that's also part of the reason why we're seeing a slower embracement of the society, right? So hmm. I think it's like people like us, if we do a better job on convincing our older generation that let them know that this is a form of having fun and play just like playing mahjong and uh, poker and whatever this is like the nowadays poker you know and uh so and and let them understand that this is we're by playing we're having a communication with our friends and all that and and we don't know i mean nobody has a good you know solution what's the best form of doing it but you know the yeah. game nowadays are they are designed for the younger generations right i mean naturally i mean the target audience but do we have a game that is designed for older generation i don't i don't think we have that much mm. so so i, I think th those are kind of the efforts that we might also need to have an actual more uh, acceptance in the society mm. that you know a, a, a more gaming content more digital content that is targeted towards the, not the, the 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 core target but also the outskirt that we have been overlooking that you know the older generation but they are 
they're likely to be a more influential people in the society where and working as a you know a banker or a whatever in the high up in the ladder they have the decision power so the more we have more convincement towards those people i think it's going to be uh, even like the acceptance will be even more accelerating so i mean that's also another angle and i you know like you, you, this can continue over and over again but it, it's the or also education, right? <laughs> so, yeah. like, 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 sport, going back Don't to sports. Just, just yeah, okay. Hold out. <laughs> <laughs> so, the, going back to sports, right? I mean, the reason why like everybody embraces sports is because we learn sports at school. We have an infrastructure that we experience soccer, basketball, uh, ping pong, whatsoever. It's part of the curriculum, and 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 that's why we ever have a huge audience who enjoys the Olympics. Or any sort of you know uh, tournaments around the world, and you know if you go back into the history though, uh, back in like in two thousand uh, early twentieth centuries, when the Olympic really started off, I mean countries like even Japan, like they didn't have a big sports crowd. Like when when people say you know like you know before the Tokyo Olympics back in the days, like nobody really embraced sports. Like what is sports? You know, yeah. well what do you do that? You know, so sports had a similar situation just like esports nowadays right they had to yeah. prove themselves that sports is something good and you can actually have a career with sports you know you had to convince the people back in the day so it's just like very similar so uh where i'm getting with this is that so uh at some point i think esports being part of the educational curriculum is also going to be very important where uh, this is also where the government is pretty supporting over here as well uh it's also i mean not not it's not only about playing good game how play you you play competitively it's also about game itself creating game itself it's an art it's a uh, it's a combination of coding it's all what stands for steam you know steam education so you can learn programming i mean if you make use of that you can do ai engineer and all that i mean it's all interrelated so but we don't we still don't have a good uh, ed educational curriculum that incorporates gaming and esports in there and uh for example if school teaches what MOBA is what league of legend is i think we're going to have more you know audience naturally because they know the rules and mm -hmm. and if you don't know the rules it's really uh intimidating to watch and even just to have that conversation right so so that those kind of a you know uh, cur curriculum uh, curricular infrastructure support is also will be needed mm -hmm. uh yeah and those are like the big chunks that i i can think of right now but it's and i think by doing so we are actually promoting more sustainable uh industry and that mm. also creating more career paths mm. it's not only about playing good games not only, like i i play i play horrible game i don't play good game. <laughs> but, <laughs> <laughs> But if you like the field gaming and esports, which a lot of people does, it's mm. a passion-driven industry, and there's still a lot of ways you can be involved with. Even mm. you can have your uh, own professional skill set, like other in you know whatever, and but you can still make use of that, other than marketing or event planning or you know accounting, tax. It's all related stuff. So uh, having those career path career, I think it's also going to be very important. Mm. Yeah. So I mean, it's all like yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, beautiful sermon. Because I, I, I really want the people know, uh, this episode and your book is for the future generation. I'm too old. I, I can't go back. I don't have time machine and become a <laughs> professor. Right? But <laughs> if you, <laughs> but you are interested in becoming a professor in sport player right now. Uh, but if you're playing game, but your parents hate it, 
listen to this episode, listen to what Barrow says, and <laughs> buy a copy of his book. <laughs> Let your mom read it. <laughs> it's a professor page. So, okay. Uh, <laughs> move on to the next question. It is also the benefit, a benefit for the uh, current uh, millennial, listen to this, on an individual level. How can a pray person become a professional esports player? Uh, what does the esports player entitle? Can you help us understand it by comparing it with the traditional sports professionalism again? Yeah. So, like me, uh, like myself, not being a professional player, there's only a mm. certain level of information that I can give. But what I know mm. is that so uh, it's very similar to a traditional uh, sports, right? So you have to, of course, you have to be good and 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 in the mm. game that you play. Uh, by the way, if you're not familiar with games. There are many, many different genres and types of game, just like there are many mm -hmm. different types of sports, right? Mm -hmm. So not every game is esports because some games they don't just don't have that competitiveness with other person, where mm -hmm. esports normally is a person to person or team. I mean, human versus human. So mm -hmm. like just you said, role playing game is you know it's more of a personal entertainment rather than mm -hmm. uh, esports. So uh, if your son and daughter plays an esports game. Then uh, it's gonna need a lot of practice, you know. Mm. And practice means a lot of different things depending on the game genre. But it, it it translates into spending a lot of time in practicing and mm. <laughs> and spending time in playing games. Yeah. And it may look very, you know, uh, you, on the surface it may look like just you know they're having fun and killing too too long time with playing games, but they're actually practicing all the. Um, motor skill set for the controller, or if you're playing with the computer, it's going to be a mouse and computer coordination, all of that. So, and a lot of strategy, strat strategic thinking in there. And once you get to a certain level, uh, I, I think this is also depending on the region, but if you're at a place like uh, United States, there, there is a solid collegiate league, right? So it's sort of like a collegiate esports scene. So mm. it's pretty, for example, there's something called CSL. Uh, they have a tournament, like an annual tournament, and different you know uh, genres of, of games, and you can team up with your buddies and try to uh, win in the tournament. And if you did a good job, you can even get a scholarship uh, mm. for, for your for your tuition. And wow, excuse me. And a lot of the time, uh, if you want to really reach the professional level, mm. so that's of course it's going to be tough because mm. uh, how tough is it? it? It's, uh, it's yeah. similar. Because I always want to stress right, this that? part for uh, how tough is it? Because I always want to stress this part for the oh yeah uh, yeah yeah it's it's like the like I can tell you from the Korean system how it works. So mm. if you're a good gamer, uh, normally is that uh, you'll be famous pretty soon. I mean, depending on the game what you play. I mean, your ID will be noticeable, and these professional teams are always on the look for new talents. So these so-called coaches will approach you and just ask, "Hey, oh, let's 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 try out. Let's do a tryout," and oh. and they test out. And if you did a good job, then okay, they might call you in, and then you do a like a full day interview, like like because they have a dedicated facility for their team, and normally these team you know uh, training is a teamwork. So it's not only about playing good games, but this is also about how. How, how much social skill that you have you know can you get along with other peers for example mm. because basically you're spending most of your day at that facility or even you mm. might live there and then 
playing most of the time. And if you don't get along, it's not going to go out really well. Now, even if you, so say that you made it to join the team, it doesn't mean that you're going to be on uh, the tournament right away. So there's that, you know, tiered system going on within the team. So uh, you started from the bottom and there's like several tiers within the team and only the top tier gets to the official tournaments and the lower tiered staff uh, players, uh, they are basically, you know, being a practice opponent for the top tier. And of course this tier changes wow. depending on how you do. So uh, like, you know, if you do well, you can go up pretty quick and you'd be the, you know, one of the, the top tier member. But if you're not good, you can't, there are a lot of many, many cases where you don't even make it to the top tier once, but you just, you know, in the lower tier and just become the practice opponent and just, you know, and that means you can't really earn much at all as a, as a, as a, you know, as a full-time player, it's because you're still an apprentice. So you can't, you know, and then you just fade out and mm. that's, that happens a lot too. And that's also like a very lucky case that because you already made it to the professional team, which doesn't happen that often. Now, depending on the country, you might have a better uh, minor league infrastructure, like a drafting system, just as I said, like a CSL in the United States, uh, they have that league going on, but not every country has that luxury. So some places may have that, some places don't. So uh, that's something that also we are lacking in esports scene compared to traditional sports. Like, you know, oh. because traditional sports, pr professional scenes are very well structured. You have a nice minor league system where people gradually can go up. And mm. if you do a certainly well, then you can be drafted to the professional team and all that. These are still kind of early in esports scene. So we're going to need that kind of a minor league uh, uh, infrastructure as well. But anyway, so it's it's bottom line is that I, I don't know if it really, you know, uh, translated, but it, it's it's very, very hard to do it because uh, mm. as you can imagine, there are many, 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 many gamers around the world. <laughs> and uh, nowadays, the teams, they are not a single country team. They are a multi-country team where have where they have people coming from around the world. So they are not abide by any sort of region or anything. So you have you better be you better be standing out from other fellow gamers around the world. So it's which makes it even more difficult. Got it. Wow, we are running out of time. Let's go back to your book. <laughs> uh, <laughs> There's a Patrick passage because I really resonate with this uh, chap, um, little passage. Uh, it's called the Air Jordan of Esports. Personally, I'm just a fan of, uh, like you, I'm a fan of Michael Jordan. Can you talk about this passage a little bit? What is it about? <laughs> yeah. So yeah, for for I mean, for those who are not familiar yeah. with the scene, right? So yeah. just like I mean, so just another parallel with the traditional sports. Just like Jordan, we had Air Jordan from mm. Nike, all these sneakers, all those products. And mm. like, you know, you and I, we grew up with those, you know, we got crazy about it. I have a feeling for Air Jordan. I have, I own a couple now. And it's just, it's just that brand that we crave. We love it. And, you know, and, and, and similar thing has, is there in esports as well. So, uh, yeah, <laughs> right. It's, it's very good. Nice. Nice. It's, it's, it's my daughters. Yeah, I was gonna say. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like small and big. Yeah, exactly. So it's like it's, now it's even a legacy, right? I mean, they're doing a really good job. This is a side note, but Nike's doing a really good job, by the way. So, so it's all about that brand, about that star player, 
and the the gadget, the brand that they're using, it naturally becomes the the, the brand that people wants to use as well. Same thing with esports. So the star players in back in the days in StarCraft, where they had their own um, mouse and keyboard that they like to use. And these mouse and keyboards are later on branded with those star player names so that, you know, the hardcore gamers who cares about their gears, which there are actually a lot, they spend a lot of money on their gears. And they, you know, some people, if they like that player, they prefer buying those branded star player branded uh, mouse keyboards or headsets or gaming chair nowadays you know so it's 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 bottom line is it's the same brand business so esports is the same and the, the the presence of star player is very very important very key role just like traditional sports and so it's uh, that's 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 probably easier to understand for people who are familiar with traditional sports to understand the brand business in esports yeah so that's basically it mm. got it let's look at the uh esports scene from and academic perspective to end with this session. Uh, university with an eSport curriculum. Can you dive a little deeper for us to end with this session? Yeah, so uh, I've been teaching at uh, a local university here, KO, uh, since 2018. And a part of the reason, uh, my background, I have an academic background. I, you know, always had an interest being a, a professor at school. Not, not that I don't have right now, <laughs> but, uh, and, and, and so, but the, the, the one thing that we started uh, is that, you know, we realized we, in the market, we didn't see much curriculum being available about esports or about the career path or the business scene about the esports. So uh, being, uh, you know, advisory, we decided to provide a course, dedicated course. And the way we structure it is that, so being a consultant, we opened the floor to give out the overall big picture of the market. What's the key player, how it's different from other market and how big it is and all the market opportunity, et cetera. But then uh, from the next, you know, uh, uh, lectures, every week we call in different guest speakers who oh. were actually involved, already involved in esports or gaming. So we had uh, in the past, we just finished our third year, but in the past we had game publishers like Taito, Sega, mm-hmm. Perez. Uh, you know, we have Microsoft, HP, Alibaba, uh, CyberZed, or, you know, the professional teams and, you know, and the government and et cetera, et cetera. So, I mean, whoever has a good, good, good thing to say, we call in them for guest speakers. And uh, what happened is that, you know, uh, it was really popular, uh, the, the, the course itself to our surprise, because, you know, we weren't expecting that many people, but it always, you know, the, the show up was double the size than we expected. So, uh, like, you know, we were expecting 10 people, but then the 20 people showed up, uh, the second year we were expecting 70 people, but 180 people showed up <laughs> and we asked him in the, in the end, we asked him to do a group project, group presentation, just like, you know, like giving them a, you know, a hypothetical situation that just assume that you're a consultant, mm-hmm. who would you, who would you pitch and what would you pitch, uh, for esports business? So, and then we call in all the guest speakers. And uh, yeah, they do a Q&A session afterwards. And the, the also what, what, hap- what, what worked out pretty well is that some guest speakers, they bring in their HR person and because, you know, they always look for good talent, right? So mm. some people, they just, you know, have that first round of interview right on the spot. Oh, wow. 
Yeah, so it, it's got it's pretty good for the students as well because you know a lot of the time this esports or gaming career, uh, the career path is not very clear. So yes. it's right, so it's not very visible. But by providing this sort of curriculum in a very interactive way, they it's it's a sort of a, a portal to uh, like entering the those those field by speaking with the mm -hmm. speaker directly. And you know, mm -hmm. and we have people who actually just join. Sony and Nintendo uh, the other day, as I mm. so, so, uh, so this is one part of. I mean, we've been experimenting over here, right? So that's one way of doing an esports curriculum. But this is, you know, only part of the picture. And I, I, we are trying to push this forward to more international scale. So mm. you know, having more partner partner universities around the world. We I've been speaking with other other universities as well, it's just to make it as a like I say, global exchange program or global curriculum. And because esports itself is a very oh man, I wish I can have that right. I was calling. <laughs> <laughs> I wish too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, just as a like you know, I mean, it's a global thing by by nature, and you know, and and it's also as a, as a. Uh, research topic too it's something very new and mm -hmm. not even you know a lot of academics uh understand you know uh they I, I, they're they're very limited number of academics who've been dedicated on esports research i would say there's still very few so mm -hmm. it's also a very uh, wide space for, in terms of research topic as well uh, so both i we i see a lot of potential in the academic side as well so trying to you know uh let's see how this goes and mm. i'm sure you know i mean there are other activities going on locally here but um there are also other other activities going on around the world and we i'm, mm. I'm happy to connect with other you know part, potential partners and just exchange ideas and see how it goes because it's really about uh there's a lot to do there education can a lot to do with with esports and and mm. also to make the you know uh, market more sustainable got it Beautiful. Thank you so much for being on our show, and thank you so much for being uh, for writing the book, uh, Demystify Esports, because mm, that is really the gateway for me as a reader to know more about the esports scene. And uh, for this episode, I think mm, it is a great supplementary uh, material for your book. Mm, so thank you again. I just really love this episode. I love to talk about esports. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, thanks for having me, Arrow. I mean, it's been a it's been a great pleasure, and uh, you know, anytime. Let's, I mean, if, if, happy to reconnect again. So, thank you. <laughs>